Our scripture reading this morning is 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 15. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah, and if this were too little, I would have added to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it in secret. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child of Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. This is God's word. So this morning, I want you to understand, by the way, we're experimenting a little bit, obviously, and just kind of seeing how all this works, and everybody did great, so, <laughs> but, we're, but we're learning. In today's message, I want you to understand a key way to express love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, in order to tell you about this, I need to explain that there are three kinds of sermons there is what's called a topical sermon. That's where someone picks a particular passage and then talks about a concept or an idea or a word. There's expository sermons where you go through verse by verse a particular passage, and there will be a section where we'll talk about the passage that was read about Nathan and David. But then there are doctrinal sermons. 
Doctrinal sermons take a number of passages that all relate to one topic and they build a theology of that topic. And that's what we're going to do today. Because the message that I think we need to learn is one that's actually found in a number of passages. Now we'll call it a theology of exhortation. But it is taught throughout the Bible. So let's review what we've learned so far in this series. God has shown us incredible, amazing grace. And the receipt of his grace equips us and motivates us to give gifts to others as good stewards of grace. So we have looked at four of these grace gifts that are specifically connected to building healthy relationships. And now I call these four grace gifts the sin beaters. When we sin against someone, that sin actually does damage to our relationship. But God gives us four graces that actually equip and motivate us to remove the damage and be able to recover. Now, sin can do damage in a marriage relationship. These four graces will actually undo the damage that sin has done. They work among friends. You can use these among friends. You can even use them in church, in church relationships. So uh, four weeks ago, Ken told us about the first of these gifts. God's Spirit gives the gift of conviction, which produces the, the ability to say, I was wrong. So I'm going to use different colors for it. But it's possible to give a gift to someone and say, I was wrong. Uh, Jake, two weeks ago, talked about the gift of forgiveness, in which God, by forgiving us, equips us to be able to forgive someone else. Taylor, last week, says, God gives us a new heart that yearns to please God. When you come to Jesus, you actually want to please God, and you want to do that more than anything, which in turn invites correction from others. So the gift of teachability is something that God has made possible. And this morning, what I want to do is show you a fourth gift that is a part of this set of gifts. This one will actually, which is, I'm going to use some different words for it, but we'll use exhortation right now. This is something that is made possible by a series of grace gifts that God has given us, and I'm going to show you those. Now, these four gifts work as a matched pair. So this person says, I was wrong. And this person says, I forgive you. And when that happens, that destroys the capacity of sin to do damage in a relationship. This person says, I want to, I want to be pleasing to the Lord more than anything. And this person says, let me tell you something that would be pleasing to the Lord. So you can see how those four gifts all work together to help us to be able to be a church where sin falls off us like Teflon because we are using the four grace gifts of reconciliation. Now, gift number four is the one I, that I'm going to talk about this morning. And so we're going to zero in on that particular one and it will complete our set. Uh, there are different biblical words that are used to describe this. Exhortation, admonition, reproof, correction, rebuke. Uh, the passage that was read earlier is an instance where Nathan used one of these tools, in this case correction, and it's a part of this fourth gift. 
They all involve, get this, they all involve the use of words to promote someone's good when they're unaware of their need or unwilling to admit their need. Now, don't worry about it if you didn't get that definition. I'll say it more, and there's, I think, a, a, a screen coming where you'll be able to see that. But basically, exhortation, admonition, reproof, correction, rebuke involves the use of words to promote someone's good when they are unaware of their need or unwilling to admit their need. Now, reproof can trigger a gift exchange. So, for example, someone can, person A can reprove person B. And B can then say, I was wrong. And A can then say, I forgive you. And that's how they all work in combination. Now, to understand what the grace is that makes it possible for us to rebuke well or exhort well, I need to explain a concept called the seven dominoes. And uh, I'm hopeful that you'll understand this and see how there's actually a sequence of grace gifts that lead to the ability to be able to do this. So I'm going to walk you through the process of understanding seven biblical dominoes that all lead to the ability to love someone enough to share with them what they need to hear. Domino zero, is you could also call it ground zero, is that God loves us. John 3.16, which I'm reasonably confident many of you, if not all of you, have memorized, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the first domino, the first thing that happened is God loves us. And as I contemplate that, I am, I am so in awe of that. Because what that's saying is God decided, he looked at me, this is God the Father, and then he said to his son, son, I would like you to go to planet Earth and put your life on the line so that I can name this, I would use this character. He would say, this person is my son. He said that of you too. Everyone in this room, everyone in this room, some of you may not acknowledge this, but every person in this room, father said to his son, Will you go to this planet and put your life on the line so that I can name them as my children? And he said yes, and he did. That was domino zero, or I like to call it ground zero. God loves us. And then 1 John 4, 19 tells us about what I'll call domino one. Domino zero is God loves us. Domino one is we love God because he first loved us. First John four nineteen says we love because he first loved us. In other words, God loves us and that triggers me to love him. In light of what he has done, how can I not go, I love you, Father, for what you've done for me. His love triggers a love response to him. Now, we love him because we look at the cross. 
That's actually an emblem of love, and we are swept off our feet by what we see. Now, I admit, not everybody in the world responds to his love. I wonder what it's going to be like for those who occupy hell to recognize that Jesus died on the cross for them and they said, I don't want anything to do with him. But those who love God love him because he first loved us and we return his love. So that's that first domino. And here's the second, second domino. If we love God, we will keep his commands, John 14, 15, and we'll do it joyfully. That's 1 John 5, 3. First, uh, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then 1 John 5, 3 adds something, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. God loved us. We love him. Because we love him, we keep his commandments joyfully. Now, in the 1 John 5, 3 passage, it says his, his commandments are not burdensome. I want to explain that. The word burdensome is the word barus. And it's actually used of a passage of the Pharisees. This is Matthew 23, 4, where it says, they tie up heavy, that's barus, burdens, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. When it's the Pharisees who are calling for commandment keeping, it's a great weight. It's a burden. But according to 1 John, God loves me. God loves you. So I love him. And because I love him, I keep his commandments. And I'm happy to do that. You know, I love Rochelle. And I love, what, I love knowing what pleases her. When I find out something that pleases her, I want to do that. God loves me. I love him, and I therefore love to do stuff that he likes, which his commandments tell me what they are. I can't help but think of Matthew 11:30. Jesus says, "For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." He actually uses one of the words that's used in the passage of the Pharisees. What he's saying is, when you love God, when you love Jesus. Command keeping is actually something that puts fuel in your tank, not something that drains it. So what do we got? God loves us, first domino. And therefore, we love him. We're overwhelmed. Because we love him, we gladly keep his commands. Here's domino number three. Keeping his commands means loving our brothers. 1 John 4, 21. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. God loves me. I love him. I love doing his commands, and therefore, I love my brothers. And I'll say, I love my brothers and sisters. Loving brothers and sisters validates if domino one has fallen. Do you love God? If that domino has fallen, then you'll keep his commands and you'll 
love the brothers. If that domino has not fallen, there's a reason to question whether domino one has fallen. Domino three, 1 John 4.20 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Brother hating is father hating. If domino three hasn't moved, domino one hasn't moved. You see how they're connected? Here's domino four. To love a brother requires promoting another's true good even at extreme personal cost. Here's 1 John 3.16. By the way, have you ever done a Bible study of all the 3.16s? It's pretty interesting. Here's 1 John 3.16, which says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, that was an emblem of his love. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Would you die for me? Would I die for you? I want to think so. Yes. When he says this includes dying for someone, what he's basically saying is if it involves dying for someone, then it involves everything that is beneath that. In other words, I will do whatever it takes to promote your good. And if you love me, you will do whatever it takes to promote my good, even up to dying for me. That's what Jesus is saying, and that's what John is saying, is what, how love operates. So, if I love my brother, no limits, would I withhold something that would promote another's good? All right, so I'm going to use some dominoes here and just help you understand what's happening so far. So, all right, let's see here. There we go. All right. Here's domino zero, all right? God loves me. God loves you. Here's domino one. And because God loves me, I love God. Because I love God, domino two, I keep his commands. Stay there, domino. Okay. And then domino three, because I keep his commands, I love my brothers. And because I love my brothers the way Jesus loves, domino four, I am willing to do whatever it takes to promote the good of someone. Now, if this domino falls, it's because this has fallen, right? God loves me. I love him. Because I love him, I will do his commands, including loving my brother no matter what. That's the dominoes we got so far. All right? Let's keep going. Domino five, love tells a brother what he needs to know about his disobedience even when it is not what he wants to hear. This is from 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. It says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. In other words, if you love someone, no matter what, that includes talking straight to him 
when he's not in a good place. Jeremiah 5.25 tells us something really valuable, which is your iniquities have withheld, have turned these away, and your sins have withheld good from you. Sin always pushes what is good away from us. Sin never promotes our good. Think of it as a cancer. It's something that is working against my good. So when a brother or sister is involved in sin, that sin is working their harm. It is like a cancer. Now, cancer can be undetected or unacknowledged, but it's working harm nonetheless. You know, there are those in our congregation. Some of you actually know about cancer and are going to be doing something about it. Aren't you glad that you know? Nobody wants to hear you've got cancer. But if I have it, I want to hear it so that we can figure out what to do with it. Domino five is that if I love my brother or my sister, no matter what, I'm committed to their good. That includes talking straight to them about something that is doing damage. Here's another passage that's relevant. This is Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to himself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. The word restore is elsewhere in the New Testament used of the repairing of fishing nets, of making something effective. Basically what it's saying is if you have a brother or sister who has been caught up in sin, do them the service of helping them identify the cancer and stand with them to help them become something better. We fulfill Christ's commands. When we help a brother caught in sin see it for what it is, and recover from it. This is who we are. Correction and restoration work best when paired with teachability. Remember what Taylor talked with us about last week? Someone says, I want to know whatever God wants to tell me more than anything. And so then when someone says, well, let me bring something to your attention, those two can work fabulously together. Uh, if someone says... Be quiet. I don't want to hear what you got to say. That's telling us about that person. This is from Proverbs verse uh, 7 and 8 in chapter 9. It says, he who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. And he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. The person who says, I want to know whatever God wants to show me more than I want to be right when this person says, well, let me tell you about something, that person says, thank you, because I so want to know anything that will help me better become the person that Jesus wants me to be. The negative reaction to exhortation, to rebuke, to correction in our society is a commentary on who we are, and it is rife. A scoffer and a wise man can react to the exact same message in profoundly different ways. One rejects as worthless what the other finds extremely valuable. One man is triggered 
And the other man is feeling fortunate. Domino six. Bond servants, lovers of Jesus, package correction to give the hearer every advantage to receive the message. In other words, I don't go and exhort or admonish a brother because I want to write him off. I do everything in my power to make this something that the other can receive well. When uh, Paul was talking with Timothy about something I call the bondservant protocol, in other words, this is what bondservants do. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a bondservant. This is your protocol. He says, the Lord's bondservant must be patient when wronged with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, to say, I love you so much that I'm going to not be silent about something you need to be aware of, does not become a license to pull out the machine gun and start blasting somebody. Figure out the best time, the best way, the best words to communicate with a brother or sister such that they can easily hear what you're saying. And then he says, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. The idea is that if I will be patient and if I will be gentle, that's my part. And it is within God's capacity to do his part which is to bring someone to a point of repentance where they recognize what they've been doing is not honoring to the Lord. So, well, okay, Jim, you said I need to package this in a way that's helpful. What does that mean? All right, let me just give you uh, one principle. There's a number of them that we could talk about if we had more time. But here's one. Logs first, specs second. Here's Luke 6, 42. This is Jesus talking. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. What he's saying is don't confront a brother when these two are unused. If there's anything that you need to acknowledge before God or before a brother, do that. If there's someone who needs to hear from you, I forgive you, do that. And don't go to someone else if these packages have not been delivered. Go to that someone when your heart is in a place where it can say, I have sought to the best of my ability to respond to everything that God has brought to my attention. The reason that's so important is when you go to someone else and you talk to them about something that is not helping them, one of the ways our sinful mind works is, well, he's talking to me about that, but I know da-da-da-da-da. So don't give him a da-da-da-da-da. Deal with your stuff. And then when you go talk to that person, their mind can't go to that place. They're in a position to say, you know, he seems to be doing what he's asking me to do. I better do that. By the way, this will help a lot with your kids. This is a little parenting sidebar. 
now forgive me for doing this, but okay, but I cannot understand why you kids cannot keep control of yourself. I mean, get it under control. <laughs> Do you see what's wrong with that? Because <laughs> the kids are going, Dad doesn't seem to have it under control, and he wants me to have it under control. So deal with your stuff, and that will make it easier for someone to hear from you whatever they need to hear. All right, so let's put our dominoes together here one more time. God loves us, and because we're so overwhelmed by that, we love him. And because we love him, we keep his commands. And because we keep his commands, we love our brothers and our sisters. And because we love them the way Jesus does, we are willing to do whatever it takes to be able to do what is loving, including uh, Domino 5, provide the faithful wounds of a friend that Domino 6 are delivered well. If you love God, you will talk to a brother or sister who needs to hear about something that they do not see or have not acknowledged. But it happens because you love God. So, let's take a look at how Nathan did this, shall we? By the way, this is bothering me. I'm, I'm OCD. Okay. So, Nathan's encounter with David is a great illustration. And I just want to pick up some highlights of this confrontation. David's sin was adultery, murder, dishonor. Now, in David's case, he could not acknowledge that. Uh, his core problem, by the way, was disappointment with God. Nathan puts his finger on this, but basically what he's saying is, God, you're not, you haven't done right by me. You haven't given me what I need, so I'm going to take what I think I need. Now, the consequence of David's sin was that he had a toxic and prolonged moral cancer. Now, this, the child was already born, so this is a year plus. I don't know how long. Uh, he's given outsiders reason to discredit God. And so Nathan is going to go talk to the king. By the way, the potential consequences include death. I mean, he was willing to kill Uriah. He could say, I don't like your message, you're done. And he wouldn't just say, call for your resignation. He meant, you're done. But he faced a choice. The Lord said, go, Nathan, go to David. And so now he's got a problem. Do I obey God or provoke the king? <laughs> He's going to obey God, but he's thinking, I need to come up with a plan to be able to help this man, and he is. Help this man see what he's done through the eyes of God. So his game plan was this. I'm going to ask the king for a judicial ruling. Now, in uh, Old Testament times, the king was both the Supreme Court and the legislature, and the administrative authority. And so to ask for a ruling is to basically say, I'd like you to assess a certain case and tell me what the right thing is. But what's genius about this strategy that Nathan is using is he's actually going to force the king to look in a mirror without knowing that that's what he's doing. 
I'm assuming that what Nathan wants is to hopefully recognize that, see himself, but see it in a light that God sees it. Well, what the king saw in another was someone who had been very blessed and yet took this pet lamb from someone else. Basically, what he saw in the mirror is someone who's saying, God's goodness is not enough. And Nathan is very encouraged. When David's conscience is stoked to a white-hot fever, this man deserves to die. And then Nathan pivots. And he says, you thought you were looking through a window at someone else. It's a mirror. You've been looking at yourself. Then Nathan made numerous connections, and David arrived at a wonderful place. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. That would not have happened without Nathan. He says to him, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. But there were consequences even as there was forgiveness. Nathan well served the Lord's interests by appealing to another to repent of his unholiness. You and I have been called to nothing less. It's this domino. And it is one that is based on this domino. He loves us. And because he loves us, we love him. We do his commands, including loving brothers and sisters, no matter what it takes, including addressing issues of sin and packaging it in a way for them to hear. I've used the word appeal because we can't compel. There's no way I can make somebody do what is right but I can appeal to them to do what is right. One thing you need to understand is that we are talking about issues of unholiness defined by the word, not preferences. This is not about correcting someone because they didn't serve burgers when that's what I wanted. This is about talking to a brother or sister when what they are doing is wrong based on God's word. That's what we go to other people. Remember this, this is necessary, here's the conditions, when someone does not see or will not acknowledge their sin. It begins with one-on-one. -on -one. You go to that person and your conversation centers on what God is concerned with. You do everything possible to give the hearer every advantage to address an issue of sin. I've told this story in uh, Shepherdology. I may have told it to the staff, but I'm, I've not told it to you. But uh, I think it was about 33 years ago. I don't know the exact year, but 33 years ago, I was on staff here at First Evangelical Church and was a part of a Sunday school class where one of the leaders in the class I hadn't seen for a while and I started to ask some questions and talked to his wife and she told me that he was involved with another woman, was in another part of the country 
and had left her. So I contacted him via phone, didn't get very far. And then I asked uh, two others from this church to join me, one of whom is still here. I, I was actually going to have him share with you, but he's not able to be here this Sunday, but he's doing something really good, sharing Jesus with a bunch of friends up in the north country. But the three of us got on a plane, and uh, we had, uh, through the information from his wife, uh, understood where he was at, went to his apartment, uh, flew in on a Wednesday someplace on a, one of the coasts, went to his door, knocked on the door, no answer. But we, could, we knew he was there because we could hear the voice of him and a woman speaking. We heard the ice maker in the refrigerator clinking. So uh, occasionally the, the peephole would go dark. This was because this was a while back. You know, we had the, the uh, tape recorder message phone things. You remember you'd call? So we could call that number and talk to him from inside the apartment. But basically what we did is we spent two hours talking to a door. I had a letter from his wife that I read to him. And then the three of us kind of took turns, pleading with a brother to return to his wife, to acknowledge what he was doing as wrong, and the door never opened. About a year later, I think by that time we had planted Collierville Bible Church, so I, I, I never told the, how the story ended, but I got a note from somewhere near where this had occurred, and it was the wife. She told me that she and her children had moved to that location and had continued to reach out, and at the time that she was writing this, she and her husband were on a little sailboat just basking in what God had done. And she shared in that letter, she said, I don't know if I ever told you this, but the process started when you spoke through the door. And that's when something started changing. And I talked with the other person from the church here who's aware of it, who told me, yeah, he's continued to keep in touch with them and got a letter from another location where they are and they're doing well. This is what we're called to, to love one another enough to do the hard thing when it is the right thing, when the issue is an issue of sin. If I love God because he loved me, then I will obey his commands, including a command to love a brother, and no matter what the cost, and I will go to him, and I will package my message in the best possible way, and in the doing, I'm doing nothing different than what Jesus did. Listen to this. Revelation 3, 19 and 20. Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He wants us to do nothing more, nothing less 
than what he has done. He loves us. We love him. Therefore, we do whatever he asks, including loving our brother, no matter what it takes, by telling him what he needs to hear. And, well, that didn't work out right. And packaging the message in a way that he needs to hear it. So you have in your bulletin, you have a sheet that looks like this. Would you pull that out? I'm going to read this. A commitment to speak grace. We are devoted to communicating grace to one another in Christ, even as the Apostle Paul has charged us. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those you who hear. With your help, Father, we each make the following pledge. Where I have wronged another, I will humbly acknowledge what I have done. When another has wronged me, I will forgive as I have been forgiven by you. Because I want to please you above all, I will humbly receive correction from others. Because I serve the true good of others, I will graciously tell my brothers and sisters what they need to hear to confess unacknowledged sin. By doing these four things, we seek to present every man complete in Christ. We are trusting you, Father, to supply the power to be effective ministers of grace. May we become a people who are a surpassing testament to your loving kindness. Amen. Now, it would be easy to say, everybody sign that and drop it in the offering chest, but I'm not confident that's the right way for us to respond. On the front of the bulletin, it actually says this. We exist to magnify his gospel in all of life. That's what it says. It's been saying that since I've been here. This insert gives you a specific way to make good on that. And you can show the world that grace is real. So what I'd like you to do would be take this, take it home, you can stick it on your mirror or put it by your bedside or where you have devotions. And I would like you to, on a consistent basis, ask the question, God, is there someone I need to go to and give the gift of I was wrong or someone I need to forgive or someone to whom I need to express teachability or someone that I need to share something that would be honoring to the Lord that they're not doing? Ask him, is there something you want me to do of these four things? And if he does, then on the back side, write the date and act on that and go do that, whatever he's asking of us. What I'd like to appeal to you to do is over the next 30 to 60 days, I don't really know how long, but I would like you to ask Jesus to show you what you need to do, whatever it is, to minister grace to one another and then take action accordingly. Write it on the back. Hang on to that because there's something that God might want us to do together. Occasionally, this doesn't happen all the time, but occasionally I have these, it could be a dream or something, I don't really know what it is, but I wake up and there's something I need to write down. And uh, there was an instance of that happening I don't know, a year or so ago, and so I, I wrote it down, but then I could never find it. 
But I found it this week. I'm going to read it to you, all right? So here's just something, that a night quote. We don't get the world's attention because we're right. Everyone thinks they're right. We get the world's attention because we are gracious. The world is not a gracious place. We who have been shown such amazing grace at God's hands are thereby equipped to speak grace, to show grace to a world that is merciless. This is our secret weapon, to be a living, breathing illustration of God's grace in action as we give grace like Father does to us. Let's pray. Father, we do live in a world that's all wrapped up in who's right, And we want to be a people who learn right here with one another how to be a people of surpassing grace, who speak grace to one another, who give grace to one another, including being able to say, I was wrong, or say, I forgive you, or say, show me what I need to see, or here's what God wants you to know. Father, I pray that this would be a place from which grace flows freely in such a way that the world in which we live would start asking questions. What gives? And that we would become a lighthouse for the incredible grace that is found in Jesus Christ. This is what we long for. In Jesus' name, amen.